I started learning English when I was 10. So English was like a present cultural influence on me, whether it was watching American movies or, uh, you know, this wave of American and then British bands. Like English is a context I am familiar with. It doesn't go both ways. There is that idea that you emigrate to the West, to the more civilized people, to people who are more progressive in their values. And there is some truth to that. But when you think of it that way, it becomes a bit of a complex. Right. And uh, it's a nice thing that Brexit did for me. It helped me get rid of my complex. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Rita. Hello, Rita. Hi, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? The answer to this one is maybe slightly complicated. I think we met for the first time in Edinburgh last year because uh, my partner and I came to your show, Mansplaining. Right. So that's how we first met. And then we met again, was it gender and performance meeting at the South Bank? Yes. Uh, And we had this very spirited conversation after which I wondered whether everybody else was just sitting there listening Listening to us. Listening to us, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I I catch myself doing that all the time. Me too. So yeah, a great combination of people to have at a gathering. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Nobody else can get a word edgewise. Right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a... It's an interesting one for the first time someone meets me to be when I'm doing that show is a, a sort of an interesting one for me. Like, yeah, you were an audience member. I was doing a show where, which involved me wearing a dress and a fedora in a very small room, a very hot small room downstairs at a pub. Kind of a very inappropriate, in a lot of ways, a very inappropriate space for that show. And in some ways, an appropriate space. I don't know. But uh, doing that show, I always had to fight with a lot of background sound from the other rooms and deal with the fact that I was so close to the audience that I could literally see, I could see people's reactions in a nuanced way, which is very different from being on a stage in a a dark room uh, where you can vaguely make out people's faces. It felt very personal, my my, uh, relationship. As if your show was not personal enough. Right, exactly. It's so, so such a personal show. And then there I am doing it so so directly to people so it was it was an interesting space to meet new people in did you and your partner talk to me afterwards i think we did yes we took the list of sources that you had and i think you were giving cookies I remember <laughs> yes i that. was yeah 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 <laughs> i always give out yeah give out cookies for that show something kind of nice and sweet and kind of momentary that disappears is kind of quite a nice thing to give your audience especially if you're going to give them all of the almost traumatic childhood experiences it seems a wise move to put a sweetener on that <laughs> <laughs> for sure yes we we did feel that way. I we both enjoyed the show. I think we told you as much at the right. time. But um, that's you know I remembered you after I kept seeing standard tragedy on my Facebook and never getting there. So right. you were kind of on the periphery, and then we met in gender and performance. And gender and performance was set up by a previous uh, GBA guest, and she is like looking to I guess get people who are making performance who deal with gender together to chat and to talk and to not just to talk but to, to to get active and to do stuff around that but obviously we both are making performance about gender because that's what 
that's what meant we met up there and that's I guess why you were interested in seeing my show in the first place absolutely yes I I think it's safe to say that we have that in common (laughs) (laughs) right the second question I ask everybody is what do you do now that is a fairly complex answer you could say that I am trying to figure out my artistic life without the shackles of a full-time job that alone is quite ta- quite a task. I quit my full-time job in January for various reasons. Uh, one of them was that physically I wasn't very well at the time. The other was that I just couldn't deal with the job anymore. I didn't enjoy it, didn't enjoy the company culture. It just stopped fulfilling any aims. I found myself buying endless coffees and endless cookies, so any excess money I was supposed to be making just disappeared down me pacifying myself into withstanding the job. Not good, you know, a bit not good. So I quit the job, I started doing freelance and it's been up and down. I got a lot of things done and I didn't get a lot of things done at the same time. So I'm currently freelance slash (laughs) unemployed, learning to fill out applications in a way so that I can actually get them. I get a lot of feedback from people and I have friends who are helping with that. So that's really lovely. And on the more specific artistic plane, I'm doing stand-up comedy. I'm doing poetry. I'm writing my play Girl Fag. I'm trying to make it a full-length play now because there was a 20-minute version that played a year ago in a rehearsed reading. And I'm sort of looking at a one-woman show. The working title was Safe, but uh, as of yesterday, it's Five Dresses I Never Wear. <laughs> uh, so that's in progress. Right. Yeah, so I mean, there's loads to, to sort of unpick there, really, I guess. It feels like the whole of this conversation is probably going to be unpicking all of those different strands of what you just said. Before we get into that, for background sound fans, we're recording today at my house, or my flat, I would call it a house, like, uh, which bigs it up. It's got a back garden, though, so I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't claim that I, I'm not super privileged in, in where I'm, what I've got. Don't but it the is, back garden. But it is only a flat. <laughs> uh, but we're at my flat, but with the back door open, because it's the hottest uh, day of the year so far and uh, that seems like a good compromise uh, so you may hear more background sound than you might normally in my flat and hopefully that will put you into the moment rather than annoy you but so it goes I can hear a, a, an aeroplane flying above our head as, as, I, as I say this so yeah I mean I guess actually before we even start to unpick those things we, before we uh, started recording I always ask people what we're going to talk about and uh, you very correctly I think said we can't help but talk about where we're at now so we're recording this what like a week bit a week and a half or something after the referendum maybe two weeks or something it's a Thursday so probably two weeks Mm -hmm. after the EU referendum where uh, 52% of the people who are allowed to vote in this country voted to leave the EU I didn't I voted to stay Um, Thank you. You couldn't vote, right? (laughs) I couldn't vote. I was not able to vote. Right. I wrote a poem which won a poetry slam, which was very nice, and I published it online. I told everybody to not give in to the fear. It wasn't an explicitly pro-Remain poem. Of course, my sentiments would be clear in self-interest, if nothing else. Right. But that was the extent of my political involvement, because that's what I could do. Right. And you are from Poland. I am from Poland. And just, I think, yesterday... There was a vote in Parliament that suggests that your rights will be protected. Uh, although I'm not, as, I don't think I'm as optimistic uh, as as that vote is. Like, I've seen it. That was Andy Burnham from yeah, Labour. Yeah, right. Uh, I've seen it, but 
already there's been articles going government does not support that vote, whatever that means. Like, I still need to educate myself more than I know already on the British political system because most of this does not make sense to me. Well, it doesn't make sense to me and I've lived here for 34 years. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, at the moment, I'm treating any news with kind of caution because it seems like everything changes so frequently and things that I never expected to happen have happened uh, that that I, I don't know where we're going to end up. Uh, but uh, you're very welcome in this country from my point of view. Thank you. Uh, well, you, you are inviting me to your flat today. So right. <laughs> I do feel very welcome. There is coffee and everything. Right. And and so, yeah, I mean, so why why did you come to this, uh, this country which has turned out to be less welcoming than hope, maybe you, you'd hoped, I guess? That's a very good question because I literally yesterday sent off an application when I was detailing just that. And uh, what I said, and what I'm going to say to you now, it was largely a cultural cultural emigration. It was culturally motivated uh, because I've been sort of trying to find out my identity, who I was and what I wanted out of life for quite a long time. I did did a five-year MA degree. It was the Polish old system, which was a five-year continuous study. So I was once I was done with that, I really wanted to not be at university for a bit. And um, I came here for a theater workshop, and then I just kind of missed my play home because uh, because after the workshop, I had a lot of friends. So that was really lovely. But um, I came here because I wanted to travel. I wanted to use my English, which I always really enjoyed. I was already writing in the language when I came here. And um, I wanted to be in an open-minded society because even though being a feminist is not exactly the most popular thing in England to be or in uh, in the UK, it is a thing. <laughs> right. Whereas being a feminist in Poland is a much more difficult job. Right. It's a daily battle. And when I was leaving Poland, I was not up to that battle. I wanted to go somewhere where I could be a little bit mainstream and not have to do that work all the time not have to especially as i'm from eastern poland which is more traditional more conservative in its mentality so there is that and there is the whole issue of uh, queerness the whole issue of being something unexpected and possibly unwanted uh (laughs) in the in the healthy body of polish patriarchy so i just kind of removed myself and went off on an adventure and in many ways you know britain has been uh beautiful welcoming space to me and uh, oh the third reason that I had was uh, Poland is so very white uh, and I knew that I was I I was harboring all sorts of subconscious prejudice just because I've never lived in a mixed society right. so the first time I left was to Netherlands for a year-long Erasmus exchange I had a Turkish boyfriend there it's a whole other story uh, and then I left for uh, for London really because I wanted to I wanted to learn you know I wanted to meet people who are different to me who would have different stories of course uh, you follow me on Twitter and Facebook so you know that my my activist feed is quite quite um, heavy on the on uh, different minority rights right. and I'm I'm very keenly interested in that sort of wanting to maybe at some point uh, be a go-between a translator because these are the ideas that are filtering back to Poland and people who are fluent in both cultures will at some point become necessary and I'm kind of preparing myself for that that maybe at some point there will be a need for me to go between or even do art in both languages right 
I mean, my 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 understanding of Poland is kind of limited to the people I've met to a certain extent, and and so if if I was to base my my understanding of Polish uh, culture on the people I've met, it would be very very skewed towards feminists and kind of uh, forward thinking people. But that said. When I've talked to those people, uh, they've often said, "Yes, that's how I am." <laughs> that's why <laughs> that's I left. Not where I came. Yeah, exactly. Um, but although I would say, you know, it's an interesting thing that you are you're in London, I guess, uh, which is not the same as as other parts of of the UK, even. So I've learned. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it is very very different. I remember, you know, my partner and I we sometimes uh, go off on a little jaunt somewhere. And uh, we always have the most amazing time. One interesting bit was when we went to Eastbourne and we went to this hotel, which looked like something literally out of Agatha Christie with a gentleman reading Financial Times with like trousers riding up halfway through his calf. You know, there were pictures and we walked into the dining room and everybody stopped talking. It should be perhaps mentioned that at the time I had a mohawk and my partner (laughs) and I are something of an odd couple. He's quite a lot older than me and shorter. Right. So we we do make something of a sight. And then, of course, the first waitress they came, that came up was Polish. So that just sums it up right there. Uh, <laughs> when Whenever we venture outside of London, it does feel different. It feels not necessarily not tolerant or anything like that. But it does feel different how people regard you and how, how, they, uh, how they perceive you and how uh, what they think think you are right because here i'm pretty much comfortable being read as an artist very frequently i'm read as a, as a lesbian as well which makes me laugh uh but um when i'm out there uh i think people are a bit more confused because because i'm not a waitress perhaps or not at present or I'm right not, not sure what the expectation is for a polish person or they might not even read me as a Polish person because my accent is quite mixed. I mean, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Like, you came here, one of the motivations for coming to this country was uh, because it's a a more mixed culture and there's different ethnicities here. Um, But maybe you weren't hoping that you would end up uh, being in a situation where you are likely to, even though you're white, uh, kind of come up against kind of xenophobic, at least, uh, prejudice. Uh, I wouldn't call it racism, although it's a complicated thing who gets allowed into whiteness and who gets taken out. Like uh, Irish people for many years were treated as other. Now they're white, like Jewish people have also, uh, an argument has been made, kind of come into whiteness. You over graduate time. into whiteness. Right. Uh, and so as a white person, you know, you you were looking for diversity you weren't necessarily looking for to 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 have the experience of 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 being othered but i guess you probably are experiencing that a little bit particularly in the current climate well i'm experienced in it because having grown up in poland i'm very experienced when it comes to being othered Othered, for what i am right Uh, and the experience here is different in its own way because in poland you know Oh, this is complex because when I when I'm here and I meet Polish people, there is this assumption from ourselves and others that I will instantaneously have things in common with them. Right. But it's not an assumption you would make when, when you are in your home country. It's the nostalgia fucking with your brain uh, because there's somebody speaking your home language and sometimes three sentences will do uh, and then you realize that you don't, in fact, have things in common. So there is that. But I am also part of this group that people read as a amorphous mass of some sort of people who are 
exactly the same to one another, which right. it's a weird feeling because I left Poland. Uh, I left Poland because I wanted to escape its mentality, which is not only patriarchal, sexist, uh, homophobic, but also quite depressing. There is a lot of Polish history to, to back it up, uh-huh. but we're quite a pessimistic <laughs> nation in many ways. Right. And I kind of wanted out. I wanted out of that. And here, I think I wrote about it at one at one point that I'm being judged by vodka and kielbasa. You know, I'm literally being painted with every Polish stereotype just for the virtue of having come from there. So it's a very interesting turnaround. Right. Yeah. So you, you're used to being othered because you didn't fit whatever norms. I mean, to a certain extent, I've had some experience of not fitting gender norms and then being othered as a result of that. Um, but the kind of othering that you're getting now is uh, an assumption that you do fit some norms that they are assuming that you are this idea of what they think Polish people are which is very funny because I'm uh, not a typical Polish anything quite frankly depending how you'd like to slice those norms but uh, yeah you know uh, not a not a typical woman or a person with a female body not a typical uh, yeah I just I don't fit in over there so representing Poland here is a very um uh, it's a very it's a very weird feeling, right? Quite frankly, I was just I'm just trying to start something of a community, and nobody yet came up to me. I, I want to call it Queer Polonia because I thought that I need to have a group that actually represents me, and it might be a group of one at this point. Queer Polonia. <laughs> is there any other queer people here who are Polish? This is a shout out. Uh, write to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they definitely are. I yeah. mean, for sure. I just need to find them because I'm, I know I'm not the only one who left for a reason. Right. Reason being that, exactly. Right, and it's, that's an interesting one as well because a lot of the time this is what happens to people who are, you know, queer or othered or whatever. They, they leave the sort of small town for the big city where it's going to be uh, kind of more diverse and more exciting and they'll be accepted more. And you've kind of done that in a kind of country uh, context of coming to a different country that you kind of perceived as being uh, like a big city. But I mean, you, you're, luckily you're in a big city here, so you're getting some of that. But I don't necessarily think you necessarily would if you went from one part of Poland to many of the communities I've maybe lived in here that haven't been London which is not to say those communities aren't full of wonderful people because mm. I'm I'm certainly not suggesting that and certainly I I, I definitely wouldn't uh, wouldn't want it to sound like I'm suggesting that the working classes of the UK are particularly racist compared to any of the other classes mm. uh, or the metropolitan elite because they're not uh, all of those groups are racist uh, they're just racist in different ways uh, and, and all of those groups maybe aren't racist as well, like, you know, and, and people of colour are part of all of those groups. So Yes, it's that is important. I'm just... Oh dear, I wanted to say something I completely forgot. Sorry. <laughs> no, not to worry. I'm just... Oh yes, because coming here as well, you know, uh, I started learning English when I was 10. So English was like a present cultural influence on me, whether it was watching American movies or, uh, you know, this wave of American and then British bands like English is a context I am familiar with it doesn't go both ways I've always made space for English in my world it does not go both ways Uh, although it's beginning to go both ways in the sense that if you go to a Polish supermarket you buy yourself some sausage that sort of thing but um, it's not exactly welcomed and there is that idea that you emigrate to the West, to the more civilized people, to people who are more progressive in their values. And there is some truth to that. But when you think of it that way, it becomes a bit of a complex. Right. And uh, 
it's a nice thing that Brexit did for me. It helped me get rid of my complex. Right. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, when I left Poland, I it would be too strong to say I hated it, but I definitely had issues with it. And throughout the years, it's been over four years now, throughout the years as I keep coming back and missing it and re-engaging with it in different ways... I just take time to enjoy it and rediscover the nice things about it, rediscover the nice people. And uh, it will be very unfair to dismiss everybody as unworldly or right. backwards. Uh, Polish people are certainly wonderful. And I've rediscovered that slowly, not only by missing my family and friends, but just, you know, in random interactions. Some things are just cultural norms that stand out to me more because I've learned other cultural norms. But what Brexit did for me, so, you know, thank you, Brexit, uh, <laughs> is that... I realize that English people are not English British people are not any better than Polish people in a sense that if you're fed a steady diet of fear and despair you're going to respond in such a way right. as we have responded and right. I'm saying we because I live in this community and I'm not going uh, <laughs> I should be singing at this point uh, but uh, you know, in Poland, we have a right-wing government that uses exactly those same tactics. And this is not right. Polish people right. being stupid. We are, or, we are all susceptible to those tactics. So we need to do away with the tactics, really, in whichever community we find ourselves in. Yeah, no, that's a, a, a very good point as well. I think people often... Yeah, there's, a, there's certainly, when, we, when talking about issues like feminism, the, the frustrating thing so often when you're trying to talk to people in the UK about feminism is you you meet this response of oh you don't need feminism here because we're enlightened it's these other countries over there they're super unenlightened uh, and people in this country like to think that we're kind of above all of those issues and so uh, it's interesting like to be reminded I guess by the Brexit even by the for people in this country that we're not above those issues, that, that actually racism and all of these things which happen every day and is unreported mm. or is reported very, very, you know, in a couple of places, local newspapers, but not in the national newspapers. Something like this does at least bring those things up into the open and we can actually look at this society and say, yes, these things exist. People and people report them more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's an interesting uh, thing, isn't it, that... It, has there been an increase or has there been an increase in reports? I would uh, say both. Yeah, I'm assuming both. I assume both. It's interesting also that uh, the sort of national moral outrage has happened when there are well-known incidents against Polish community. Because Polish community is one of the largest, if not the largest, immigrant community in the UK. And so it's been targeted by politicians before. Right. And so people have it in the back of their heads that the Polish are being targeted on the one hand. And on the other, the Polish are the bad ones or the greedy ones or whatever and however you want to label it. And, and then you kind of go to Media Diversified on Twitter and they're all saying, you know, it's been happening all along, but you've not been paying attention when yeah. it's been black and brown people. Right. And uh, Polish whiteness is debatable in many ways. You, you do you do get that kind of, the worst kind of white feeling sometimes. Uh, you, you do get that kind of conversation going. But I think this alone proves that we are white where, where it matters, when right. the society is willing to defend us and say, oh, Polish are hard workers, Polish are, you know, there's a positive stereotype. Right. 
going on. I mean, in a way, like, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the kind of cliches that exist around Polish people in this country are quite similar to the kinds of cliches that exist around the white working classes in this in this country. Like, um, so often the white working classes in this country are framed as lazy, as, as scroungers, like not, not pulling their weight. And that's how Polish people also get, get cast. But then when people really want to get people on side, then they talk about the hard workingness of the working class communities uh, and you're, you know the Polish community are having a little bit of that I guess happening around but people are mobilising around Polish people of like they're people who are a little bit like us so we'll de- sort of defend them a little bit I mean it's been a weird moment like the it's like there was a lot of sympathy and an outcry about that that German woman who was on she was interviewed on LBC talking about having experienced kind of uh, abusive kind of uh, responses from her neighbours around Brexit and it's kind of like I don't I don't I'm, I'm not saying that that woman hasn't had a hard time mm-hmm. in that moment but it's just it's interesting that that is what it takes for some people to actually care about something that's been happening to people you know you know German is as close to British person as you can kind of get and still be a slightly othered like every other group has been getting shit for ages and ages and ages and no one really pays much attention and I mean and I speak as someone who I'm sure I'm white and I'm UK uh, resident um, my niece isn't white uh, and that in a way yeah right my niece is in the picture behind you um, and she, she's not white and so my my ability to sort of look on this as an objector objective kind of oh I can observe racism and say it's terrible and tut 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 but it doesn't really have any actual effect on me has kind of been taken away a little bit by that which I, I'm grateful for um and I'm but I mean it does make it makes you know the the police shootings that are happening in America like the last few days and regularly um and just the general kind of mistrust I have for the state and all of these things just ratcheted up to like a (laughs) hundred from from 10 you know like my 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 ability to sort of look from the outside is 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 less is less there but at the same time I still it's she is at risk, but not me. You know, still, it's 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 still I am massively privileged within this, and you can't kind of forget that. I think as a as a white person, like the the safety pin thing kind of was a part of that. Like I don't know, I, I I'm not currently wearing safety pins um, because I, I've seen so many really people say point. not to. Yeah, I've never really seen the point, but right. you know, uh, I understand. It's it's nice to have a visible symbol of something. I understand the need to to gather around and get together, and I'm not going to mock it. No, me neither. But it's there is such a risk of it becoming an empty gesture, right? So it's I'm I'm always really wary of discussing racism as such because, as you said, I am white and I might right. not get it. Like, I I read up on it because I don't want to be the person who doesn't get it. Frankly, right. so maybe that's a selfish motivation. But I also. I also want to know how this works because a lot of prejudices work in in a similar way in a sense of dehumanizing the other and we need to be able to defend ourselves against that sort of thinking and to defend ourselves we need to understand it and right so you know just to challenge your own unconscious bias you have to you have to expose it you have to find it so there is always a lot of work to be done here but Right now, the work is not theoretical right now the work right. is standing up for the Muslim woman who's being harassed on the bus yes. And, and yeah, absolutely. And that terrifies me because I've had lots of experience in my life of big groups of people being vicious to me. And so those kind of moments of like stepping forward into it feels like I'm terrified of it because I know that it's stepping forward into that into that 
situation again of yelling and potential violence and all of those things. Um, but at the same time, I'm determined to do it. I mean, who knows? I've had those moments in my life many times and sometimes I've done the right thing, sometimes I've done the wrong thing. I'm not going to uh, suggest I'm some kind of hero, but that's the thing. Like, it becomes a time when, when people who aren't, like the, the, the like hit the the concept of hero is a problem in itself. Like just being a person standing with another person, hopefully, is something. Even if you do get hit, like in like you know, I was reading a report today of somebody who stood up against someone on a bus and got hit. Uh, yes, but but better that they're hitting everybody than just some people. Mm. <laughs> in a way, at least they know that not everyone's standing for it. But like you say, we're both two white people, so probably let's steer away from this. Like, so you're a creative person, what, but what, what, what was your first kind of creative interest, I guess? When did that happen? I started writing poetry when I was seven. I was an early reader. There was quite a lot of reading and... Um, it's hard to say. I think it was quite simultaneous because I was singing as a as a child. I was dancing as a child quite a lot. Uh, then I went to music school. That was seven years of that, of playing the piano and one year of saxophone. I sing as well. I can still do harmonies. And, you know, I do have I do have a band, which is kind of in the resting position right now, the Living Songbook with my partner, Kevin Plummer. Uh, so we still do music whenever we, we choose to do so. But... Uh, I guess writing is the one I keep coming back to because writing is the one that helps me uh, deal with myself. Some people meditate and I, I find it great when I manage, but meditation I find quite hard. But if I'm in a position to write out what I'm feeling in a coherent narrative, then I feel better. So writing is an artistic tool to be sure, but also a tool of self-management. And uh, it's the one I have the most confidence in. Like I love to perform. I enjoy performing, but my degree is actually in Polish literature, specializing in films and media. So by my degree, I'm a glorified reviewer, I suppose, or somebody who can analyze media uh, via literary examples, shall we say. <laughs> I do have a media theory background, but uh, I, I, would, I would have to say it's writing. But what I am most interested in is being in charge of my creative output. So I'm interested in being a voice, whether I'm dancing or directing or writing or singing or doing all of it. And I can't do all of it at the same time. I need a team around me because my brain gets a bit crazy if I try to do that. But I definitely enjoy either being collaborative, being part of a team or being in charge of a particular creative output. I don't want to limit myself to one. I really, I actually can't. Right. I'm just not, I'm not made for this. Like a lot of people try to tell me that I need to choose something and it doesn't work. Well, no, I feel you on that. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't decide either. I mean, I've come to the conclusion that everything I do is telling a story of some kind. But mm. However, the medium of that is, it changes uh, project to project. And yeah, I've, I've come across people to, who've told me I have to choose one but uh I'm not that interested in doing that it doesn't really work does it yeah. it's just if it doesn't work for you like I kind of put my stamp on things I watched my most recent foray into stand-up comedy and a lot of it is me telling stories and sometimes they're not that funny and sometimes they are and then I make a you know five minute foray into sex jokes which always work especially <laughs> with a mostly male audience which stand-up very often is right. uh and then I do poetry and my poems come off funny sometimes more funny than I realize that they are. Right. I think that poem I mentioned about Brexit, I was literally writing in my pajamas and the first line of the poem was, 
here I am sitting in my pajamas looking at Brexit memes. That was such a wave of laughter. Right. And it then occurred to me that it would be funny because that's what I was doing. I was literally yeah. writing down the situation. But of course, out of context, when I'm in a, you know, in a nice dress with a microphone in my hand, dark, uh, dark, dark space stage, it is very funny because right. it presents people with immediate mental pictures. So I suppose I tell stories in a in a way that conveys an important message with with the use of humor. The proportions between humor and drama change, but humor is very important because I'm a very serious person. And uh, <laughs> without humor, I would probably go around the bend uh, a long time ago. So, you know, I'm one of those comedians who take themselves very seriously right. and take my work very seriously. And uh, I would probably explode if I didn't have a laugh. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. It's like I mean I think I mean comedy and drama seriousness and 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 sadness and and laughter and sadness and all of these things are, are are kind of the same thing to me like they all exist within each other uh, I guess and so yeah I, I I think it's always strange to me when people want to just make serious things or just make funny things as well like uh, this this idea that we can separate ourselves into either of those things is weird to me although that said there's plenty of amazing artists who just make serious things or just make silly things like those mm. are both uh, great things and I don't don't knock them but I, I I can't separate them for myself I mean can can you separate them or is it, do, do, do you separate them you said there's different proportions on different things no but you know what I'm not necessarily interested in separating them like I have written things I have written poems that are most mostly emotional and mostly, shall we say, dark or or emotional or teary or whatever. I, I have written stuff like that, but by and large, I'm not interested in that separation. I'm interested in bringing it together and looking at it sideways. It's like dancing on the edge, you know, between... Who said that? I'm going to misquote that, that the difference between uh, tragedy and comedy is the distance or the, the amount of time has passed, you right, know, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And um, what I have found is that I deal with the darkest things in my life via humor. It can be gallows humor, but it is humor and irony. Right. Uh, and so there is literally no situation so serious that there cannot be humor in it. And uh, on the flip side, I also found that we joke about things that are the most serious because we don't want to be, be hurt about them. And so we turn it into a joke so that we can speak of those things without being challenged on it or without being hurt. So in my relationship at the beginning, uh, I used to say it a lot whenever my partner would make a joke about something. I would immediately round on him and talk about it. And he'd oh, it's just a joke. No, this is serious. There's something serious going on. We don't play those games anymore in a way, but it was something that I always paid attention to because we do make fun out of the the things that hurt us the most yeah no for sure for sure <laughs> my god you gave me coffee i'm just like a massage mate so, no, 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 you're, you're, <laughs> just you're great preaching. no 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 that's great but i mean so yeah so so one of the things that you've made uh is or you're making right so you're you're making it into a full length thing now uh is is girl fag right yes what 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 is that well girl fag girl fag is when I was in high school, I uh, I was reading a lot of gay fan fiction. Fan fiction. Uh, I always get the pronunciation of this wrong. It's fan fiction. So I was reading a lot of gay fan fiction, and I didn't know if it made me abnormal or what. <laughs> and uh, I was attracted to men, but I didn't like my body. Didn't like being a woman. And so the joke went. 
of course, the joke went, uh, I was a gay man trapped in a woman's body. And years later, I read up on that. And that is called a girl fag. I was like, where this word was my entire life. <laughs> like that was, uh, I identified with this very strongly. Then in university, I had quite a lot of adventures being, att- being attracted to gay men, hanging out with gay men. And uh, then kissing a gay man, him kissing me back, me going, am I a man now? What does, what does it mean? Me calling my mom, mom, I kiss my gay best friend. Does it mean I'm a man? Uh, you know, and my mom going, uh, your experience vastly exceeds mine at this point, but I'm happy to listen. <laughs> My mom was great. So, you know, from all of that, I wrote Girl Fag. And Girl Fag is me. I'm playing the lead in this play, but she also isn't me. Whenever you take your own life to make it into a story, at some point you start using the rules of the story as opposed to what actually happened. This is not a documentary. Right. Like, unless you're making a documentary, but even there you do editing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Girl Fag is a play uh, that is set in London about a Polish girl studying theater or studying liter- literature. It might change in this edition, but she was studying theater last time I checked. Uh, <laughs> and um, the idea is that she's 25 and she wants to lose her virginity because how come it's not happened? I'm almost 25, so it needs to happen now. And then we've got six characters in the play and they all represent a different point on the spectrum of gender orientation uh, and, and uh, also race. It also mixes up there. And uh, so she loses her virginity, uh, but the underlying question of what am I, who do I want, and what do I want is not resolved. If anything, it produces more questions. Right. So it's a play on this kind of serious topic of confusion, but, um, you know, you've got the virginity loss scene within the first seven minutes, prompted by Jam with the breaking glass uh, sound. (laughs) You know the song, Jam. Uh, yeah, I think I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Michael Jackson, isn't it? Right, right. So um, that was the director's choice. The director of it was Ricky Biddleblair. Right. He's also my mentor. Uh, yeah, no, and I saw you worked with him. Right. So, uh, you know, that happened, and uh, Girlfag was very warmly uh, received, which I really loved because it was it was a funny play. It was a roller coaster of a funny play, and it had a lot of sex scenes, it had a lot of awkwardness, and people being confused and lashing out, um, especially, you know, um, her name is Raw, which, you know, Porta Parole and all that. So Raw's best friend, Nick, is a masculine gay man who is ever so slightly homophobic in a sense right. of f- being fanphobic. Right. And then you you get the pansexual guy who dresses in skirts and he's like very, um, uh, I'm, op- I'm open for open relationships. And there is all, all these triangles going on with different orientations and different people and we're kind of trying to try it all out because that's what you're supposed to be doing, to try it all out and decide. And, you know, I had a lot, I had a lot of fun writing that play and whenever Ricky introduces me as a playwright, he says, you know, Rita wrote a play in which she got to kiss everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> there is that, I suppose. Well, I mean, plenty of, of, of men have been doing that for, for years. So right? why not? <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I, I, the first play I ever wrote, I think that's how it ended up as well. Like, I ended up kissing everybody in that because I ha- ended up playing the main lead, but I wasn't intending to. It just happened that way. Mm-hmm. Well, at least that's what my conscious brain thought. <laughs> Who knows what Fair my subconscious enough, yes. was doing. Um, so, uh, and is that, so is that your, the first play that you've written or have you written plays before? 
I guess I wrote plays when I was younger, like between 10 and 14, I wrote things that were intended for stage. And I found it very easy then and I'm finding it very hard now. Right. Uh, so, you know, I wish for that innocence, I suppose. But um, I did do some sort of cabaret stage work. I wrote a lot of jokes. I had my own theater in high school. And then, and then you know, I went to university and I got depressed following my parents' divorce. And right. I've been kind of rebuilding my life ever since. And, um, you know... It was it was expected, and I'd been depressed before as well. Uh, I just kind of managed it better throughout uh, high school. And a lot of it got kind of dismissed as, you know, being a teenager, which is fair enough. The mood swings are just the mood swings, aren't they? But then when I moved away from home and my parents finally divorced and uh, I was on my own and nobody would kick me out of bed to go into lectures and things got a bit dire. Right. Um, and I, you know, put myself together, but I think my self-confidence took a hit. So um, working with Ricky, who's also, you know, a motivational coach, if he is anything, um, has been very, very helpful because, yeah. He's got a very common-sense approach to things and to rebuilding self-confidence. And it's great to have somebody who believes in you and uh, believes in you and mentors you. So I'm writing, and uh, whether I'm publishing or not, or making work or not, I've always been very prolific because, as I said, writing is the way I deal with myself. Right, right. So I have, like, notebooks upon notebooks upon notebooks, and they're full of poems that I've never even edited, looked twice at. You know, there's a lot of backlog of work. Right. Productivity can be... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a lucky or cursed to be quite a produ- productive artist as well and I think people often sort of uh, treat that like with awe of like how can you how can you make so much stuff and it's I always think it's like it's not so much a choice you know it's just like it all comes out and it's you know it's not necessarily good as well mm. it's just I can't not be doing stuff oh don't confuse being productive the very capitalist value like I write a lot but getting it produced getting it edited getting it <laughs> into some sort of publishing or uh, getting it in, in front of an audience is an entire thing right. entire different thing uh, not to you know this year because it's great no, no, to be no, productive sure. but uh, I'm just uh, I'm just trying to devise ways to catch up with the backlog as well as keep on making new stuff right because you've got to finally get it into the final finished product whatever that is and get that out to people and hopefully find some way of making some kind of money from that because we do live in a capitalist system be lovely yeah <laughs> and uh, you're a freelancer I'm a freelancer that's a hard hard thing to be uh, in 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 this moment in the arts in this in this moment in time maybe even in this country but then I don't see any other country where it's easy to be in the arts particularly it requires focus it requires discipline uh, and um, I'm learning those things I wouldn't say I don't have them but I'm definitely learning them mm. uh, it's um I've been really depressed last week and I'm saying that because. I've not been depressed in a long time. Like, I have my occasional lower moment, but it's nothing that can't, can't be fixed with going to the fitness or contacting a friend. Like, I would have a lower day. But post-Brexit, it was a week. Right. <laughs> I didn't want to leave the house. Right. So that, uh, that wasn't great, and I'm just kind of dealing with that. But then that's, that's the kind of depression, I mean, I... There's, I think if you're prone to depression, then there's internal triggers and there's also external triggers, and that's kind of an external thing that would have depressed. I, I imagine pretty much most people who wanted to keep the like they keep keep the UK and the EU or whatever. Mm. Um, so at least there's that. At least it's a, an external thing that's sending you into into depression, uh, which is good. I mean, so you're generally able to cope. Uh, with being a freelancer in a kind of mentally healthy way 
Well, yes and no. I'm not I'm not making enough money right now, Me which, neither. you know, being able to cope is also being able to be sustainable. And I'm still trying to figure that one out. Right. Uh, but um, I definitely prefer it to being a salaried minion, whatever that means. Right. But um, I guess I would enjoy being a salaried minion much more if I did work that I cared about. Right. Like my latest job was in retail and it was a lovely shop. I really, you know, I enjoyed the products of it, but it got repetitive uh, I stopped deriving any joy from, from customer service and um, I can derive joy from it. I'm, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I enjoy being with people, but um, it just got too much. So I'm looking, you know, I'm, I'm looking through arts jobs, looking for right. a nice team, a nice place to be in, somewhere where I can, uh, you know, belong for a bit. Yeah. Something that gets me out of the house because, God, I can't work at the house. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I, 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 lo- I know a lot of people who say that. And I, I guess I... I, I find it hard to, uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff I end up doing because it's a lot of audio editing uh, means I am in the house in front of a computer. And kind of the good thing about audio editing is that uh, you don't need inspiration for it. The actual stuff that you're editing is there. Uh, I think if I was trying to get inspiration, I think I would definitely need to get out of the house a lot more. Hmm. But I mean, I've been freelance for, I guess, coming up for two and a half years, no, maybe two years, two and a half years. And, uh, yeah, I found it very hard uh, mentally. Like, I-, I thought that it was going to be harder. Like, I thought that it was harder in a in a full time job. Um, then I was in a part time job, and I quite enjoyed that. And then I moved to freelance, and I thought it would be like an extra liberation. Like, I thought I was going down in steps from like full time, part time liberation, but. Uh, I found it very hard, so I'm I'm glad that you're in general at this moment in time, at least, uh, at least kind of like not letting it get get on top of you. This financial thing, I mean, that's what I find increasingly is the hardest thing of like just keeping your nerve and not panicking when you haven't got any money. So if you've got any secrets, please let me know. Well, I have an an enormously understanding partner, but uh, me too. (laughs) There is that, but uh, it's it's quite unfair to to lay down my financial well being at his feet because for many reasons it's very unfair, and I do need to get my act together a bit more. Um, But. Quite frankly, just today I read this article on Facebook. I can send it to you if you like. And it's it's uh, the the tagline was whatever you do, don't quit your job to to pursue your dreams or pursue your passion. It was a very good article because it kind of said that oh I I quit my job to become a freelancer. There were several reasons for it, but a lot of people assumed that I did it to pursue my passion. They told me that I'm very brave, but. I am still a cog in this machine and I'm no braver than you doing nine to five, no braver than, you know, it kind of dealt with the bravery of it, but also with the responsibility of being your own boss. And I'm still learning how to look at myself as a product and as a boss and as a company. Uh, And I've been registered as a freelancer for several several years now. My my full-time stint lasted from, well, kind of part-time it was first, four days a week, I think, and then it turned full-time. So that was like July to January. And uh, I had another one, like when I first came to London, I was a receptionist that was full-time as well for seven months. You have this narrative that you have to be brave and uh, you have to be an entrepreneur and it's going to all pay off because you love doing what you love, doing what you love, and it's its own reward. But it does not say, how do I become sustainable? One thing that I learned 
right now is first of all I need to leave the house I really need to leave the house I need to be meeting people and uh, if you don't because whether you like your colleagues very much or not is immaterial mm -hmm. it's easier if you like them yeah. but you still go out and interact with human beings some people can do without I can't and uh, so what I'm learning very much is that I need a support network I need a steady routine. Starting my fitness class helped enormously because I also have friends there that I get to see. And then, you know, you get a coffee before fitness, you get a coffee after fitness. There is like a whole social life that you can then schedule around this one thing. And uh, all these things, of course, require money. If you want to be routinely anywhere, right. you have to commute there, you have to pay for them. But having any sort of community is an enormous helper and inspiration. Uh, at this point, maybe I should say that I mostly do my stand-up at the Comedy Explosion with um, Sam Rhodes Comedy Explosion, and this is a free stand-up comedy night. And since I since I quit my job, I've been coming there fairly regularly. I mean, I, I skipped two or three maybe since January, and I always do the open mic or uh, I got featured twice, which was nice. And that was that is something that I come to regularly in a sense that it's a free night. I know several of the acts by now. I know the producer. And, you know, I go there to have a chat and to improvise some stand-up comedy, you know. But it's it's been very helpful to have that point in my calendar. Oh, there's, there's a stand-up night. Let's go. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Regular, like, interaction. In, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, if you separate yourself out from society, if you're an artist, uh, that's a, a mistake uh, because society is a lot of what being an artist is about is about like commenting on that seeing it like engaging with other human beings finding finding whatever specific or universal whatever you're after kind of truths that the artists uh, search for um yeah i mean it's it's a it's a funny thing i i i think that the, the sad thing the complicated thing about kind of being a, an independent freelance person is that like those qualities like in artists aren't they're not always the kind of qualities that artists have that they need like the this uh, the ability to sort of be business like if you like uh, i know so many artists who who just they try or you know but they don't quite they, they that's not their their natural instincts and and they're best suited really in a situation where someone else is managing that for them mm. um but they just don't have that luxury and uh, they have to try and work it out i mean i hope that I'm somewhere in the middle of that because I hope that I'm actually all right at doing some of this stuff. But I'm definitely not... It's not... It doesn't come naturally to me. Like, when I'm organised, I've had to learn how to be organised. And it sounds like that's something that you're doing too, right? Yeah, of course, I need to I need to be organised and focused. Like, in my case, uh, my emotions <laughs> yeah. go to the bottom of everything. If I'm in a good way mentally, I can organize myself. I um, And again, if I'm also doing a project with people with the possibility of having an output in front of people, deadlines help too. Right. Uh, so I try to place myself in those situations. I try to, you know, have coffee dates, laptop to laptop with fellow creatives. I found a nice cafe down the road uh, where I live, so I started going there. I'm very good friends with the Albanian owner now, it's nice. I just try to find, you know, mind hacks, because it's hard to say. A lot of people would peg me as an extrovert, I'm a talker, that's for sure, but I also get really shy and awkward in certain situations. If I'm not feeling comfortable, I just don't know what to do with myself. Mm. And there is that need for you to be confident and to be a salesperson. If I'm in a good way, I can do that. If I'm not in a great way, if I'm not feeling comfortable, I will struggle. 
and that is that is just human you know i'm not castigating myself for that but as you say there is a business skill set and i don't believe that artists can't have those things mm-hmm. i don't believe you know there is a book called why are artists poor and i think some of us just expect it i think for some of us we just believe it comes with the territory <laughs> yeah you know yeah. is it right. it's a chicken or an egg question you know yeah, yeah. because uh, i think a lot of the time it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy although you know have to mark privilege or lack of it the market and so on and so forth i think we're all aware of the the external factors here art is not always easy but it's not impossible right it just requires a little thing called creative thinking and i'm not preaching because i'm still figuring it out myself but um it requires confronting your fears and your blocks right it requires kind of going why am i so convinced that uh, nobody will want my product. Why am I so convinced that my product isn't worth much? Right. And how can I look at this differently? And so sometimes I just sit down and write down all these things that I'm scared of and, or convinced of that are negative, and I try to look at them sideways. If I were a different person, or if because if I see somebody else who is great and clearly has a confidence problem, I have no problem talking them through it. It's harder on yourself. Right. Always is, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah, right. Everyone's a, a good... A, gives, I, give, I give great advice to other people, but I never follow uh, <laughs> it myself. It's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you. The t- time has, like, flown by, which has been great. Uh, the, the, the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? Uh, I'm doing a featured poet slot at Rhymes with Oranges that will be on the 28th of July in Shoreditch, I believe it's the bedroom bar and that's going to be really awesome fun and um, I'm looking forward to having those 10 minutes to myself and I will most definitely be showing up at Sam Rhodes Comedy Explosion. I don't remember the particular dates. I think it's this Monday and then uh, the following Thursday because that's how it's usually kind of mid-month but they're quite easy to locate so if you fancy stand-up comedy that's a thing. And the podcast i completely forgot about yeah the podcast. we haven't talked about that so i was, I was going to make sure that we did like if you if you didn't mention it so you're making a podcast yourself at the moment but it's not yet out but what is the podcast the idea of the podcast is that you know once the brexit news hit i thought i should do a series of interviews with fellow migrants just to you know in a meet a migrant way just to show them as humans and let them speak out for themselves, let them have a voice about the situation, how they feel and what they think. I started with my housemate Lisa, who's German, and um, I recorded an interview with her, and then I uh, held an open query on my Facebook page, what should I call my podcast? Because I thought that interview with a migrant sounds weird and some, somehow like interview with a vampire, which is not <laughs> what I'm going for. No. Uh, I, I was slightly partial to Schrodinger's immigrant because it's a favorite joke of mine. Are you familiar yeah, with Yeah, no, I thought I like you know, that. It's a name. Simul- simultaneously stealing jobs and lazing on benefits, but exactly, yeah. uh, it might be a bit too high-handed and um actually the producer of the stand-up night I, I mentioned was the one who came up came up with the job stealers podcast which I think has a ring to it. So um I'm going to be the London Paul doing the Job Stealers podcast. <laughs> and uh, I'm hoping I can put it out soon. Brilliant. Um, well, I look forward to hearing it. Um, 
yeah, um, and, and it's always good to have extra people in the, in the podcast community, particularly people who don't look like me. Um, so I'm always pleased that there's more more voices. I mean, that's in a way been the frustrating thing about podcasts for so many years is that it's independent media, right? There's no gatekeepers, and yet for for a lot of years, still the most successful, the the, the loudest uh, surprise surprise podcasters have been you know middle class white men. Um, but the last couple of years, it's really started opening up in a, in a in a great way and so it's, it's been exciting to see and so that's a sounds like a great uh, extra contribution to that kind of opening up of this independent space which uh yeah has been sadly uh pretty much the status quo for so many years uh it's good yes we're mig- we're migrants and we're coming for your jobs in the <laughs> podcast community yeah take take take, <laughs> take take the take take those podcasters jobs uh yeah i mean and i mean the thing is that's the beauty of podcasting it's a free thing that people put out so really like everyone can make their own podcast without like taking anything from anyone else uh it's just yeah okay there's only a limited amount of time you can spend listening to a podcast if you want a big audience then yeah sure uh other podcasters might be considered a threat but the nice thing i've found so far in the podcasting kind of world is that everyone's very supportive of each other despite the fact that we should all be in competition with each other which is great and, and not something you find i don't think in other areas of the arts so much like i definitely find it's there's a there's a kind of a lot more kind of co- competition whether it's healthy or not uh, in other areas of the arts so podcasting has been a breath of fresh air so far but it's getting as i say loads more people are joining it so it's only time before we all start stabbing each other in the back <laughs> well hopefully not <laughs> no absolutely i mean that's the kind of the cynical side of me but i i have to remember to to also be the optimistic side of me one of the things you said in in this conversation at the at the beginning is was about wanting to sort of think more positively about things and I think uh, as much as I think that being realistic is to be kind of look at the more negative side of stuff because there's a lot of negative stuff out there that people don't look at I think you can get too obsessed with looking at the, the, the negatives and I certainly think I, I, I fall into that that category so I have to to remember to be optimistic like like you sound like you were being I'm trying I mean not to be very long now but negativity stimulates a different part of the brain and being positive is something that you cultivate I always think I'm not a gardener as my boyfriend will tell you but um, I think of it as a garden because the weeds grow anyway but if you want to grow something you have to tend to it so I try to grow my positive thoughts because you know the rest of it will happen anyway Well, that's a, a lovely thought to leave the, the show. And the, the last uh, thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> I'm very excited that I'm able to fully officially announce that the Family Tree podcast is on its way. It's a spin-off from Getting Better Acquainted and features me as its host and it's coming out in September 2016. It's a mystery show, it's a fictional show or is it? And it's really really exciting. Find out more about it at thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk. But also, you can subscribe to it on iTunes already. There's two teasers. There's a Patreon account where you can sign up to support The Family Tree to help us to get the money to pay ourselves and our performers properly. 
So please do go over and sign up to that Patreon now if you want, or you can wait until the show starts coming out before you make that decision. And if you want to support what I do, but you don't want to support projects that aren't in existence quite yet, you can help me to make Getting Better Acquainted by donating to this show. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm GooseFat101. To find out about my masculinity show, that's the most recent stand-up tragedy podcast. You can listen to the whole show in its entirety, and you can also find out more about it at www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook and on Twitter. It's at GBA Podcast. Thanks very much for listening, and remember... There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.